Hello, hello. My name is Devon Taylor, and I am the host of the Spectre Cinema Club podcast, a show where we analyze horror films through their various subgenres. Every month, my co-host Garrett McDowell and I pick a different theme, franchise, or spooky topic to break down a handful of films, figuring out the subgenre elements that make them unique. Think of the conversations like a funnel, as horror is so broad yet full of variety that we really want to get specific about. We also provide recommendations for when you're still in the mood for that particular subgenre. New episodes drop every Tuesday on all podcasting platforms. You can find us on social media at Spectre Cinema. Until then, we'll be haunting you. Everybody and welcome back to the Pod and the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast covering all the franchises, one movie and one episode at a time. As always, I'm your host Mike Snoonian, and if it's October, you bet your button that we are talking Saw, and we are in the home stretch. Right, we've like kind of rounded the curve here, and we have a uh, our last three films to talk about. So let's introduce the co-host. She has been on for every Saw episode, doing the research, getting the timelines up, like figuring out where it all goes. She's like Charlie from It's Always Sunny. There's like push pins and strings and maps. And, you know, she's bought like a waterfront property in at Saw City <laughs> from Ghouls Magazine, Miss Ariel Powershav. Ariel, how are we? Uh, doing great. I can't afford this waterfront property, so I'm going to need everybody to sign up for the Patreon. Uh, they can't it. handle this. These prices in Saw City are getting out of control. I We'll talk about Saw City in real estate <laughs> and how it compares yes, we will. to other. We'll definitely, because that was a great little dig um, that harkens back to like a favorite show of mine. And we'll talk about that later, but we are not alone. We need a tour guide. We need someone to bring us around. We need someone to point out all of the sites. And she's joined us. Like, I think this is your third or fourth saw episode. Like you've been on for a bunch. Third one. Yep. That's right. From the bodies of horror podcast. Let's welcome back Nicole Goble. Nicole, how are we tonight? Doing well, doing well. Excited to be back to talk about, jigsaw excellent i gotta say whenever we record i love your exposed brick wall and i feel like i've said that a few <laughs> times now like i am a total slot for exposed brick in a house just it, it was a huge 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 selling point and yeah. i it's very nice the only thing is that it's really hard to decorate yeah um and get stuff on the walls because i yeah. have um, in my other, my last apartment, I had a whole wall of mm -hmm. Kubrick posters. Oh, sweet. And so now they are, um, kind of posted up on a couple of dressers. So, oh. so it would, that, that's the only thing, but yeah, I, 
I love it. And um, yeah, exposed brick, which you can also find in many a warehouse in Sausage. You can. You can. You can't find pale pink wood paneling from from the seventies <laughs> like you can find in my basement. Oh, oh so boy. It- in my basement, and this has now become. We talked Bob Vila last week, so we have become this old house. This, this is this old house corner. Yeah. So in my unfinished basement, where I turned a corner of it into a theater, I literally took two spun- kitchen sponges and made like a brick shape out of them, and like four different like reddish type of paints and hand painted like a huge corner to look like exposed brick. That's, that's how very much. Cool. Yeah. That's how much I love brick. Like it's just kind of a little bit insane to be quite <laughs> honest. So, you know, I feel like John Kramer would put me in a trap going, you're trying to make your wall look like exposed. brick." <laughs> it's not real. Exposed when he's brick. really running out of ideas, he he's really just is. like, uh, the brick thing, we'll I, do that. <laughs> I saw someone post today. It was like John Kramer sees someone um, telling their kid to say, instead of saying they're 12, say they're 10 so they can eat for cheaper at a restaurant <laughs> and they wake up the next day in a trap. Like, I really probably. thought it was probably. Well, yeah. what are we here to talk about today? We are here to talk about Jigsaw, the 2017 kind of soft reboot of the series prequel. Not quite sure what it is. And uh, Nicole, you look super excited right now. So I, I like this one. I really thoughts. I really like this one. Um, so at the time that this came out, I was with an ex, mm-hmm. and they liked some horror film, but were not at all like horror fans. And obviously, that is my diet. Um, so, uh, this was one that I made them watch every film. Then we watched four separate YouTube videos about the timeline because okay. I'm like, you're going to go in and it may be confusing and I don't want you to be confused because I will not have time to answer questions afterwards. <laughs> so we're going to watch as many YouTube videos as I can find and vet that will properly break down a timeline for you and some of the characters. And then you may attend a showing with me. You will buy the tickets because this is a gift to you. <laughs> so and, this, you know. just so I have this right. This um, is the best thing this, I've ever heard. This person who wasn't really a horror fan. No. For, f- to win your affections, to win your heart, to keep your heart. Watched eight, seven previous Saw movies, yeah. sat through them, and then they watched four separate YouTube videos explaining <laughs> the timeline. Yeah, we passed out during one of them because I think mm. it was like two hours long. And so we woke up and I'm like, no, we have to go back and rewatch it because we may yeah. have missed something. And again, I will not have time for questions. Yeah. We must absorb everything and you must understand and it it was a very trying time for a yep. relationship, but it survived, and he was not very excited about the Saw films. Right. That. Well, that's so why he... he's an ex. Yeah. Part. Okay. Was that the reason? Like, because we had previous <laughs> guest Cat Hughes who said, like, yeah, like my ex wouldn't go to 
uh, a Saw movie with me. So they got, you know, they got got, they got shown the door. No, no, it wasn't. Is this the reason you broke up with him? Like, because he didn't like Saw? No, he, he was very good. Like we, we were hardcore. We had movie nights a couple nights a week. Mm -hmm. Um, At least one of those nights we would go and meet after work at, there was a movie theater that was nearby where we lived. And so we would go and watch a movie and then we would have movie times all the time. And Mm -hmm. he was, especially in October, um, it was very much a rule. I'm like, I will get ill if I watch things (laughs) that aren't horror in October. And you can't have that on your conscience. So let's watch lots of horror. And if it's October, it is Saw. And there's a new saw finally, because it had been a minute. And um it was no. He he was very he was very kind about it, but I think that saw was just I think it was uh maybe a bit too too out of his realm. But he did mm-hmm. dress up with me. Um I went as Billy the Puppet and he went as Dr. Gordon. Amazing. He even did saw cosplay for you. Yeah. Okay. I, I at this point need to know why the relationship <laughs> didn't work because this guy sounds like a keeper. And I feel like you're going to tell me you found out he like strangled kittens and I'm still kind of willing to give him a bit of a pass. So goodness. No, no, no strangled kittens, no saw traps that he was setting up on his off time. Um, But yeah, he, and that was the other thing. Like, also for Halloween, we had to do couples costumes, and he mm-hmm. was, and we had to do multiple. Um, but yeah, he was very nice about the, the Billy the Puppet and Doctor Gordon because we had to find a tricycle for me to ride around the party, <laughs> and he's like, amazing. He's like, God damn it! All right, Nicole, I'm not gonna lie. Dating you sounds like a lot. That is. <laughs> Wow. So if you listen, can't handle her at her Billy the Puppet, <laughs> you don't deserve yeah. her at her Dr. Gordon or something. And that was the, I think that was the year of of uh, a jigsaw. We mm-hmm. were just I was not we. I was that hype. Mm-hmm. On on all I would say saw. you're worth a lot. So, you know, please don't take that <laughs> the wrong way here. Um but you are if I remember correct, you are our resident like opening weekend i am there yep. uh, every year they show the original saw ahead so you're there opening weekend with this person and yep. you are stoked and it sounds like this met your expectations yeah i i mean to be honest i i felt like there had been somewhat diminishing returns mm-hmm. in a couple of the later sequels still really enjoyed them but slightly diminishing returns and i was intrigued i'm always intrigued especially when there's a lapse in Mm -hmm. time of like what are they going to do with the story and knowing that jigsaw was still going to be involved i was like well now what are they going to do to make this interesting and i i thought that it delivered on on a couple of those marks um Rewatching it, there are still there. There are a couple of parts that I'm like, I don't, 
I don't understand this choice, <laughs> but I I think it I think it's one of those sequels that really did take a couple of swings, and I have nothing but full appreciation for that, and I like the way that they kind of Jedi mind trick you with mm-hmm. a little bit of the timeline warp. Ari, what's your most painful breakup as we <laughs> Well, I had to take an ex to court for some money. Oh. Uh, unrelated to the Saw movies. Um, no, but that's neither here nor there. All I have to say is Jig fucking Saw. I love this movie. Okay. It's so much fun. Um, it stays high in my rankings. And I saw this when I was doing my Blu-ray box set run through. And, you know, I was a little disappointed at the end of seven, but I got to roll right into this one. And like the jump and how much fun I had, like really raised my spirits a lot. Um, You guys know me. I never guess anything that happens. I don't guess any twists ever. And by now I should know that the Saw movies are going to play with time and it still blew my mind and I didn't guess any of it. And the whole time I was on the edge of my seat, like, how is this working? So, um, I mean, Logan, we're going to get into him, but I love the introduction of another disciple. It opens up infinite possibilities for where the movies could go. I know it looks different than the other Saw movies, but I'm actually okay with that because mm-hmm. I think in 2017, I think it had to. Sure. Um, but I think it still has enough of what do we come to a Saw movie for? To be a Saw movie. So I just have a lot of fun with this one. I rewatch it a lot. So this is like one of the ones that are higher in your. Yeah. It's excellent. Well, bear that in mind as we kind of get, because uh, we're going to do a rankings episode, yes. which we got to do, which I think will be a lot of fun. And I'm hoping there are some arguments. I'm hoping some, you know, we just like, just start. You're screaming. always trying to pit us against each other, Mike. I'm Why kind of like to... <laughs> Jigsaw putting Amanda and Hoffman against one another. I guess. Really You're trying to it. figure out who's most loyal to your message? Pretty much. Mm. Pretty, pretty much. <laughs> um, so this was one you watch on the box. So is Spiral the first one that you went back to see in theaters after the first couple? Yeah, it was. Yep. Yeah. Okay, we'll save our thoughts for that for next week. But I think you're like, oh, could have gone for Jigsaw. So, so for me, um, I once broke up with a woman because she threw my cat <laughs> out of bed. So I mm. kicked her out of my apartment. I'm like, he's going to be around way longer than you are, and you can go because you don't treat my little mustache man like that. Um, good choice. Yeah, I think it was a good choice. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the first one I watched in theaters since part two. And this is actually the first Saw that I watched since part two. I had skipped the whole Hoffinator saga. <laughs> I had just like, yeah, the, all those were brand new movies to me. <laughs> and I just remember like it was the start of grad school. And all I did was like work and go to school and like do my like on campus job that was like getting me like credit so I didn't have to take out massive loans and was just tired all the time. And the one thing I did get to do for fun was like go to the movies. It was like I signed up for the AMC, you know, three movies a week thing, and I would just go see everything. So I'm like, I was genuinely excited to go see a Saw movie in theaters, even though it wasn't my favorite franchise. And 
I think it's because it was called Jigsaw and not Saw 8 hmm. that I in I just kind of had like this kind of reassurance that I wouldn't really have to have seen the other movies to like be able to catch up. Like I had a vague awareness of them, but I'm like, I don't feel like I'm going to be lost by going to what is this in essence saw eight. And I felt like that. I felt I went to see it. I'm like, this is pretty good. Like I feel pretty engaged by this right now. Like I know that jigsaw is supposed to be dead. How are they doing this? Are they going to go like a supernatural route? Um, I kind of felt like the reveal is a big wet fart at the end of it. Like I'm not a huge fan of the reveal. And I just remember and watching again, I'm like, man, that's pretty dumb. But I mean, it's dumb can be a lot of fun. Like dumb can be fun. And it did feel like coming back after seven years that it wasn't as egregious as, you know, calling your last movie, the final chapter it wasn't as egregious as like Friday the 13th coming back a year later after the final chapter, like kind of like, you know, they did the Irish goodbye with the final chapter and then kind of like dipped back in because they forgot their keys with a new beginning. So I kind of enjoyed it, but Jesus Christ, like just call John Kramer, Jesus Christ, because the man (laughs) has like 12 disciples just. And he rises from the dead. So he rises from the dead. So that's kind of how I felt about that. Uh, that was awfully convenient to have another disciple to do all his work. But yeah, it's enjoyable. I think we're going to have a lot of fun talking about this movie because I think there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about, both good, bad, and everywhere in between here. Yeah. Um, should we talk about how this one got made? I think we better do it. After Saw 3D, Kuhlsenberg talked about burnout and the pressure of churning out a movie every year for seven years and needing a break, which I think is very reasonable. Like, especially because the Saw movies probably aren't exactly relaxing to make. Mm -hmm. So as far back as 2012, you know, two years after the final chapter, Lionsgate was tossing around the idea of rebooting either both the Twilight series and the Saw series. Which makes sense financially because both of them were huge cash cows for the studio. It was like the studio heads at Lionsgate were like, all right, we wrapped up Saw. It made a billion dollars. We wrapped up Twilight. That made like even more money. What can we do now? And someone's like, what if we just started them both over? (laughs) Like right now started them over. And some executives are like, that sounds like a fucking brilliant idea. Nobody will know that we did that. We'll just might, we'll memory hole all of those previous <laughs> movies. I mean, like on the one hand, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But on the other hand, sometimes I feel like the decisions that are made in Hollywood are just like, you can hear the cocaine mm-hmm. in, in the decision-making. Uh, but I'm not going to complain about more saw movies. I thought you were going to say, I'm not going to complain about more cocaine. (laughs) Jeez, sorry. (laughs) That's not my business. Um, So Brad Miska from Bloody Disgusting Disgusting reported that Lionsgate was debating making an eighth chapter, an epilogue, if you will, or just starting fresh. 
A year later, by November 2013, Lionsgate had all but confirmed they were going to make an eighth Saw movie, but they were in no hurry to get it done and wanted to wait until the right idea came along before moving forward. Yeah. So very different vibe than the previous yeah. green light at one after another. And it feels like a couple years later, they do kind of reboot the series. Like that's what yeah. Spiral you know, from the book of Saw, like what it was trying to do is like, you could easily see if that movie was a hit, they would definitely follow the, the detective Chris rock on the hunt for, you know, his adversary, but it, mm -hmm. which we'll talk about really wasn't a hit. So we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that is, that is an interesting point though, that this is one of the franchises, one of the, the very few, in fact, I think it's hard for me to think of any others that try to relaunch or kind of reboot or retool um, a franchise in, in a couple of different ways. Yeah. And they seem to just fall short of expectations, which <laughs> is, I, I guess, it, unfortunate, but it is interesting because I don't know if there's any other horror franchises that in earnest had really tried a couple of different six like successive times mm -hmm. to do something different with the franchise and it just not really resonate do you feel like at this point the saw franchise is so associated with tobin bell that it's like a nightmare in elm street trying to do like a, a movie without robert england is freddie which they did one of which I am on record is not hating. Um, I think that, um, yes, I, I think that you, you have to make the argument that that would be the case because Saw X has done very well. Mm -hmm. I think, especially critically. And I think that speaks to the power that John Kramer has on the franchise in a very unique way. Yeah. But I think that there's, unfortunately, it, it, that puts a ticking clock on the franchise because mm -hmm. there's literally not going to be that much longer that you can continue that storyline. Mm -hmm. um, and they have to find some... They, I, I don't know if they just haven't found, like, a character to really, like, pass the baton to. But it's just, it, it's really interesting. And I, I think that Tobin is amazing and does such interesting things as John Kramer. But if you really want this franchise to extend, you know, any... I think any longer you really have to find like that next character. I think that's true. Or maybe you just have to give it to David Gordon Green and he can ruin another beloved franchise. <laughs> we, we won't go down that rabbit hole. Okay, don't um, go down that road. We will get to, when we get to the exorcist in like 2025, we'll talk about that for sure. Um, we, you know, it feels like we talked about this a little bit when we talked about Saw 3 and do you think the producers regret mm. killing 
John Kramer off. And I think they even came out on record as like saw 10 has come out and they're like, in retrospect, you probably shouldn't have killed John in the third movie. And I wonder like if they stuck with that and then in four, five and six said, okay, these are going to be Hoffman's movies. Like we're not going to rely on flashbacks. Like we're not going to keep bringing Tobin Bell back. Because I think that's kind of like having your cake and eating it too. Like we're going to keep yeah. bringing John Kramer back because audiences want him, but um, we're never going to, we are never fully comfortable giving these movies over to Hoffman. If maybe that hurt them a little bit. Yeah. I wonder, you know, I, Tobin Bell is such a part of it. Mm-hmm. It's a gift and a curse. Yeah. But how do you, I guess if that's the question, and I know that one that has been grappled with during the Hoffman run mm-hmm. is how do you hand off the series to him? Because he's such, he has such a different presence and energy to Jigsaw. Like, Jigsaw is not afraid to be loud and proud mm-hmm. about being jigsaw not a murderer but jigsaw and hoffman is very much like i want to i kind of want to lurk in the shadows and i want to blend in Mm -hmm. and you know just let me be there for the (laughs) bloodletting and so it i i think that that's a really hard villain to pin something on to to shift this franchise over to yeah yeah i think it couldn't have been hoffman um they're gonna have to figure something out if they want to keep making these movies though and they do they (laughs) definitely certainly do yeah given how well they continue to do all right So uh, after hearing a pitch from writing team Josh Stolberg and Peter Goldfinger, Lionsgate decides to move forward. Um, Prior to this time, the two were credited for a pair of remakes, Piranha 3D and Sorority Row. And boy, howdy, do I ever love Sorority Row. That Mm -hmm. movie is on constantly. I love it. And I like Piranha 3D. Well, there we go. I haven't seen it, so I probably would like it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, it features like Richard Dreyfus in the opening scene getting eaten by a bunch of piranha. And it's definitely a callback to uh, his turn as Hooper. Like you're supposed to oh, nice. it's Hooper getting eaten. So That's fun. I, I will prioritize watching that. It sounds really fun. So Lionsgate loved everything. No, scratch that. Didn't love everything. They loved one thing in they their pitch. One kernel of an idea. Yeah, and that was enough to be like you're our guys. But scrap everything else, but keep yes. this one thing. Do we know what that one thing was? I don't know. Like I could not like yeah. in reading interviews and watching the behind the scenes things. They basically say like number one, Lionsgate got a lot of bad pitches. Yeah. Uh, number two, I think part of it is like not only do they like like one little thing. But you have two guys that like they've already written a pair of hits. So you have like, okay, we can trust these guys a little bit. 
Um, yeah. But I do like this idea they have here that didn't get used. Like this idea is awesome. And I kind of want this now. Um, our, so in an interview with Bloody Disgusting ahead of the release of Spiral, Stolberg revealed our original pitch for Jigsaw took place on an oil derrick in the middle of the ocean. And when the game player escaped from the tiny room they were trapped in and escaped out into the world, thinking that they could get away, they found themselves in the middle of the ocean with no way out. That's awesome. That's brutal, man. I really like that idea. Like, that's a really fun idea. That's an unwinnable trap. Big time. I mean, I like it, but. Jigsaw would have to come out on like a little dinghy to rescue them. (laughs) And then what an uncomfortable boat ride home, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So how was your time in the trap? Do they feed you? Do they give you anything? (laughs) So Lionsgate shot that down as well as the idea of all the traps taking place outside, which is an idea I really like, like Mm -hmm. using nature. That would be cool. And really every idea the pair came up with insisting on a more back to basics approach for, for the movie Jigsaw. Goldfinger and Stolberg talked about not wanting to disrupt or over-explain anything that had happened before, and also hinted an ultra-gory, over-the-top sequence that the producers ixnayed and replaced with the laser trap at the end. They don't reveal what it was, but they were giddy just reminiscing about it. I wonder, um, because there's like a similar thing in Spiral, Mm-hmm. where like there was a trap that was too gnarly that they couldn't show. And I read somewhere that it was a person getting their face cut off. Mm. And I wonder if that's that too. Maybe. Maybe. They keep trying to slide it in there. Like <laughs> yeah. eventually they'll sneak it in. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be gnarly. All the last three movies, like they've written <laughs> all three of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a note here, Mike, and I agree with this. It seems like Stolberg uh, is a really nice dude. Like yeah. every interview. And I agree. Like I, I see him engaging with fans on Twitter and he just seems like ha- like happy that people like what he's doing yeah. and like happy to be here. Never has a bad word about anybody. So I don't I haven't seen as much from his writing partner, but Stolberg right. seems really cool. No, that guy is, I guess, like super MAGA and a dick and hates old people. And no, I'm kidding. Oh. Those things are true. <laughs> you know, um, I'm very gullible. Yeah. So he's like, if I could put anyone in a trap, it would be Bernie Sanders. You know, like what? Like, that, <laughs> what a none of odd that pair. <laughs> yeah. So. No, he is really nice on Twitter. I know that after, I think it was right after I had seen Spiral. Um, I had tweeted about it and he followed me and was just really, really nice and seems to actually have like interesting conversations Mm -hmm. with folks as opposed to some, like there are some folks on there that just really want, I think, kind of the continual ego boost of people. But he he doesn't give me that vibe. He seems really nice and engaged mm-hmm. and wanting to to just share his work. So yeah. I yeah, he seems really really cool. Yeah. So shout out to Josh Stolberg. If you're a listener, 
You seem nice. Seem okay. A plus dude. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting because prior to the movie Jigsaw, the movie we're talking about, the directors had all been in-house to the franchise. Kevin Grutert had edited all the films prior to six, and he's credited for the visual style of the Saw films after he helped get the initial film to feature length with his magical editing. David Heckle was a production designer on two, three, and four before directing part five. Lee Wanell obviously had been on board for the first three before Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan wrote four through seven. So, This time around, the producers returned down under to find their directing duo, Peter and Michael Spierig, the Spierig brothers. And they made their debut with a movie I'm not familiar with, a super low budget, independent zombie movie called Undead from 2003. Have you guys seen this? It's pretty good. Yes. Yeah? I it played in Boston for like a weekend. Okay. Uh, I have a good memory of going to see this at like the Kendall square cinema. And it's like made for like a million bucks. It's a lot of digital effects, but it's like pretty solid. And it's kind of like a sci-fi zombie movie. It's got some pretty striking visuals. Like it ends with it's like final girl wearing kind of like this, like, gas mask where uh, wielding a shotgun like it's a pretty striking visual and it was pretty innovative like i remember like oh like i will check out what these guys do later on like they definitely had like a, a cool vibe to it does it look like a 2000s horror movie like does it have this look that we've been talking about it I mean, 2003s early it doesn't so, i okay. i haven't seen it since that one viewing in the theaters. Yeah. But uh, I think that was part of what was refreshing about it is that it didn't look like everything else that was coming out. Interesting. Um, So their introduction to American audiences was a few years later in 2009 with Daybreakers, a pretty fresh take on vampires starring Ethan Hawke, Mm -hmm. which I also haven't seen. It's very good. Okay. Like an action vampire. I mean, that sounds great. It's excellent, actually. I really. It'd be a a great pairing with Blade. Okay, now you're talking my language. It'd be a great pairing with Blade. You know, and if our friend Jen Ferratu was here, she'd be like Ethan Hawke and really fill out a sweater. I know. (laughs) I don't think he wears a sweater though in Daybreakers. No, but he could. That would bring it from a four to a four and a half half star movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um, so after Jigsaw, the pair co-direct Winchester in 2018, and then we really haven't heard anything from them ever since. They talked about making Jigsaw more accessible, which we'll discuss shortly in terms That's of bringing what viewers that actually to actually means, yeah. Mm-hmm. One longtime mainstay who does return is Charlie Clauser, who had scored all the previous Saw entries. Talking to The Hollywood Reporter, he expressed his excitement in returning after the long absence. After a six-year break from the world of Saw, this will be an opportunity for me to reimagine how I approach the score, and I'll be trying trying a more stark, bold, and stripped-down approach that will be more in line with the strong vision that the Spirig brothers are bringing to the table. And I do get that sense from the score. Like, even from the... opening first moments of the movie the score has a different feel to it and it's really exciting 
it has a much more actiony yeah. vibe, which I think is interesting. And again, I think very fitting that if you are coming back after a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. you really do want to inject as much logical new blood mm-hmm. where you can. And to get the people who were the that that have had a stake in it from the beginning, I think that that makes a lot of sense because I think that they have kind of in, probably mapped in their brain ways to make some different choices. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it it does stand out. That's one thing. Um, I remember watching with my ex. That was like. Scores and stuff were something that just never really kind of, like, resonated. But I do remember him being like, is this an, like, is, are, are do these, because I, I think we had talked about the direct, the directors being a, a pair of brothers. And he's like, are, are they action guys? Do they, because he felt it was very souped up. So mm-hmm. I... I like that. I think it does keep it flowing because it's it's not I mean it does feel a little bit longer than some of the other entries. I would say if you've seen their uh, the their two other and they also do a sci-fi movie with Ethan Hawke, I think Predestination in between mm. Daybreakers and Jigsaw. Um all of their movies have elements of action in them. Like they're very yes. much like hybrid horror movies so you're not necessarily getting like a straight matter like daybreaker is kind of like uh i said like you can pair it with blade it's also like a good companion like it's a, a, a more indie like underworld in some ways okay. like where it's much more action oriented than it is like horror oriented overall so that would make a lot of sense that their score kind of leans in that direction as well but you still got the dna from mm-hmm. very much so the franchise yeah. which is a really great approach i yeah. think and like closer is like the you know, obviously like the halloween franchise is associated with john carpenter and his work yeah. but after the first three movies he you know alan horwith takes over for a long while and then uh i want to say it might is it tyler main or Tyler yeah. Bates, I think. Tyler Bates that does like Rob Zombie's two scores. And then Carpenter returns with David Gordon Green. Um, the only other composer I can think of that is like so associated with a franchise is kind of like uh, Harry Mancini and Friday the 13th. In there, he just kind of recycles a lot of his work. Like that was the knock on mancini in his scores for friday the 13th where clauser like repeats a lot of motifs Mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of new material in every movie too yeah yes when we did the phantasm movies was the composer the same throughout those i don't remember i don't remember either okay that might there might have been some consistency well in the nightmare on elm street franchise uses the same theme yep but i think it has different score elements for each 
Christopher Smith does part two. And I think that might've been his first score. And he would go on to do like Hellraiser among many, many great horror scores. Yeah. And those are scores that I absolutely love. And I think because they are really unique to each entry, but I think, again, you're not with that, with that franchise, you're not really rebooting anything. And so again, having a really fresh approach, but still keeping a lot of the the same vibe, I think is really, really smart. And I think Mm -hmm. it's good to keep the goodwill of folks who, like I said, have stake in the game and want to really want to, you know, be a part of something that they've, they've been with for, for a hot minute. Yep. And Hello's Up makes me want to run through a wall in the best way. So I'm here for it. Post this man. Post this man. Post this man. man (laughs) (laughs) Talking to HorrorNews.net, Klauser talked about some of the instrumentation he used to create the score for Jigsaw. There's a builder of experimental musical instruments named Chaz Smith that I've worked with since the first Saw film. Although in the past, I've always gone to his studio to record because most of his instruments are permanently installed and far too bulky to be moved. When I was just beginning to work on Jigsaw, Chaz was preparing to move his studio for the first time in more than 30 years, and I was able to convince him to finally sell me one of the instruments that I've used on all the Saw scores. This instrument, called a Kalastas, maybe? Has a (laughs) large... Yeah. (laughs) has a large sheet of stainless steel with piano strings and metal rods attached. It's played with a cello bow to create scary tones that are often dissonant, but always ominous. It's become an important part of my sonic palette for the Saw films, and I'm so happy to have been able to finally bring it home. That makes me super happy. I'm trying to think... What I'm so like not good at understanding music. I'm trying to think where that instrument is in Hello Zip. Maybe if I listen to it later, I'll figure it out. I feel like it is the opening notes of it. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right. They're playing in my head. Okay. So with a budget of 10 million which is more in line with the entries prior to going 3D. It's released in theaters October 27th, 2017. So we were wrong about that on the last episode when yeah. we said Jigsaw was released in like August or something. We, we all it, had thought that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's number one at the box office for the weekend, but at 16.64 million, it's the second lowest opening of the series. It goes on to make about 38 million in the United States and $65 million in other territories. It is another hit. It makes $104 million, which is 10 times its budget. That's a hit, but it still feels like a letdown in Saw money. And it's not just that. It's two months before that, like in September, it Chapter 1 is released. Mm-hmm. And that is like a cultural phenomenon yes. when that comes out. It makes over $700 million, so it you know, cost more to make it, but it makes like Avengers money, basically. Like it does extremely well. It was unheard of, like for a horror movie to make like that much money. 
and it was not only that, like kind of captured like the public imagination. Like I remember like you would see like red balloons tied to sewer yes. and pictures of those posted everywhere. Um, you know, like sexy Pennywise was the hot Halloween costume. It was. There was the Nicole debate. looks like she's in pain at this memory. I just don't get it. Like I and I love it. I just don't get it. Mm-hmm. I think that the films are fine. Hmm. I think they're good. I have a lot of appreciation for chapter two. Um but I I just when you look at how much money mm-hmm. that made, I just like I have an aneurysm. Because I cannot put the pieces together. Well, it's Stephen King. It's some of the cast of Stranger Things. Like, it comes out, like, probably two years after Stranger Things hit. So we're kind of primed for that 80s teen horror. Uh, It's probably Stephen King's in the top three of his, like, most beloved works. Figuring, like, The Shining and Pet Cemetery, Like, some kind of combination it had been forever since like we had gotten like a really killer King adaptation. And it's like a interdimensional murder clown that eats children. Like it doesn't get much simpler. Like you can automatically know who the villain is. And there was even that debate like, well, is, is it chapter one actually a horror movie? Like as, you know, as soon as, a, <laughs> as soon as a, uh... and like I, I've said this before and I'll recycle this joke, but like, if your movie opens with an eight-year-old boy getting eaten by a clown that lives in the sewers, yeah. I don't care if the only thing you show for the next 90 minutes is like the opening credits of Benny Hill on a loop. Like you, <laughs> It's a horror movie at that point. I still think that one of the best moments of cinema in the last 10 years is Georgie wiping out mm-hmm. as he's running with the boat yeah. and just spilling on the road. Yeah. Like, it's great. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I appreciate, like, I think they're they're very good films. I just, especially because Pet Cemetery, that remake, came out. It's not. Came out a couple of years later. And I really like it. Oh, boy. And I, I think that that is another wild film that just is like, fuck it. We're, we're doing something really probably not smart. Yeah, I liked and, it too, and I think it's kind of a lot fun. Of people did. Yeah, and I don't understand why it and it chapter two did so well. It chapter two, I think, had a little bit less fanfare. Yeah. But would and, you have liked it chapter one more if they kept in like the twelve-year-old gangbang? Like, would no. that have been no? Okay. Were you like disappointed that that wasn't in there? I had to ask because no, you know, I, someone out there would say yes. You know, I I mean I I think that they made very smart choices. It's not that it's a bad film at all, but I just I cannot fathom how it did so ridiculously well. Yeah, and I see that my again. mom wanted to see it. I and was there on everybody's mom weekend. wanted to see it. I, you know. I remember like the theater around the corner from us, which never has anybody in it. My wife and I went and it was sold out with like teens. And we're like, this is going to, cause like everybody was like, was it PG 13? No, it was R. Okay. And 
it was like before the movie started like everyone's running or it's a pretty raucous it was like kind of like the opening scene of scream 2 like that kind of crowd and my wife and i are like this is going to be hell and then the movie started and it was like the best crowd i've ever watched a movie oh that's awesome it was pretty cool but what okay but maybe you would just unlocked it because this was a film that was very much going, like you said, it had cast from Stranger Things, mm-hmm. and it was very much being geared towards a younger audience, but wasn't PG-13. Right. It was very much committed to being R. Hardcore rated R movie. And made no bones about it. Nope. Do you think that? That maybe absolutely really just kind of rattled people's brains when it's like this is something really truly wild. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we have to, and we that may be it. I think that that is probably the key because I think I, that's one of them. Because I do think that we were in very much uh, for certain audiences a very much PG thirteen vibe. So, and I think that having films, you you have kind of a dichotomy of. You know, you have films like Jigsaw coming out that are very much like we are who we are. And and Jigsaw's in a funny place because it kind of exists between that camp of like It Chapter One, which makes oodles of money. But then you have movies as like Cult of Chucky is straight to video. Like it's a Netflix movie. Leatherface comes out by the directors of yeah. uh, Inside. And that wasn't even direct to video. That was like direct to direct TV. Like that was the yeah. only way you could initially watch that movie before it came out like on more video on demand platforms. So you have like these kind of like iconic horror characters that can't get back into theaters. Like they are in DTV purgatory. Um, but then you have a puppet that's like, watch me, just watch me roll in. Mm-hmm. Nicole <laughs> like, is like, that's my Halloween costume. Like, you can't is... stop it. You cannot mm-hmm. stop the trike. You cannot. <laughs> but what is hitting with audience is like Happy Death Day comes out. So it's like kind of like a fun, lighter take on the slasher. You're getting a lot more auteur type of cinema. You're getting like, uh, Aronofsky takes all of the goodwill that he made for his Oscar in Black Swan mm-hmm. and is like, what if I set it all on fire by creating Mother? And like, my that's favorite really, movie of the year. Right. My favorite which is movie of the year. Basically about him like justifying wanting to have sex with women a third of his age. Like, that's what that movie is about, essentially. Right? I thought or, it was about the Bible. But there's some of that. Why too. not both? <laughs> hey, like, if you, you read know the what? Bible, a lot Maybe, of it's about that. That's a good point. That's I as soon as I said it, I heard it. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I also think in 2017 it was still very cool to say you didn't like the Saw movies. Like mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. we were in this, you know, elevated horror sort of rise. It was cool to be like, I don't like torture porn. And it still is to some extent, mm-hmm. but I feel like Saw fans like us are finally kicking everybody down and making mm-hmm. them admit they like these movies. So I think that could have been part of it too, why this movie wasn't like a super big hit, is even yeah. if you did like the Saw movies, it wasn't cool to say so. Yeah. But do you think that, so you're right, because was it, it was 
2017 when Get Out. 2018. Right around January 2018. Okay. I couldn't remember because wasn't Hereditary 2018? I yeah. think they were the same year. Hereditary is 2018. I think that Get Out you was 2017. Right, so, you are correct. Okay, and so Get Out was amazing. Yes, mm-hmm. phenomenal. But do you think, and, and I think that that obviously shifted so much of a conversation around horror. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Jigsaw, because we've had a respite, it's come back. Do you think that Jigsaw has any effect? Is there any influence of this burgeoning kind of more social commentary aware type horror that we didn't see in previous entries? Saw's always been at its best when it's nailing social commentary. Their social commentary wasn't what it what social commentary in horror it was in the 2010s. I don't really feel it very much in Jigsaw though. Like of all the Saw movies that do social commentary well, I don't think Jigsaw does. Mm-hmm. But isn't that interesting? Yeah, because it is. You have all of these films that are really starting to kind of zero in on that. Yeah, where the Saw franchise, hit or miss, has been always trying to make certain statements, mm-hmm. and then this is an entry where you're feeling like it kind of takes a step back, and it's like, no, we could, but we will, we will do a different track. Yeah, it it feels like a very much an anomaly, like it exists on its own little island. And then all of this other stuff is happening around it. Like you mentioned, yeah. Nicole, like Get Out comes out. I was wrong about the year. It comes out. So you have these two movies that are like cultural touchstones. Mm-hmm. And then it's the start of the Trump years. And we're looking like when shit is bad politically, that's yeah. when you usually get some incredible art. I think back to the early 80s and like the punk rock scene and the hardcore scene and the music and films that came out of the early 80s. You also have Benson and Moorhead doing movies like The Endless. You have like Mm -hmm. The Ritual that comes out. You have these really smart filmmakers. Thinkers. Yeah, Tragedy Girls comes out in 2017. It's It's kind of like horror is about to go through a really huge renaissance. And I don't think Jake saw as part of that renaissance so much as it like exists as its own thing. Yeah, I would agree. And you have films that are, that have been doing this for, for a minute, because I mean, you have like, I think the Babadook comes out in 2014 and that really, you know, it's people talk about that film very much as zeroing in on certain kind of social elements. So it's, yeah, I, I, I just find this, when we talk about how this, you're exactly right, Mike, in saying that it exists on an island, because it does feel just, it's not just a, a reboot 
of swords. This is really kind of cutting a whole new cloth for the franchise. And that's always so interesting to see like what what the filmmakers are really wanting that to shape up to be. Yeah. Should we talk traps? Let's talk traps. Talk traps. Remember when I said this doesn't feel like a two hour episode? Yeah, and I said we said that before, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> but they're fun conversations. Yes. So I have one comment, and it's not so much about specific traps, but as a whole, I think what's really clever here is that by and large, the traps are like way more scaled back for the most part. And I think that makes sense because like, A, this is kind of like a proto game. Like it's an early, in the timeline, it's an early game. And it's also like John working on his own. So you don't have like the assist from Hoffman or Amanda or some heretofore unnamed disciple that we will meet in Saw 13. Um, it is <laughs> right. We'll find much, out like, someone was helping him. Yeah. <laughs> but good for Jill Tuck in like investing in some like out in the country real estate with that barn. So it's like a hog confinement. Yeah. Not it, a fan. Yeah. It's uh. Yeah, that's pig farming with two vegans on this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, did you know pigs are very compassionate animals? John Kramer explains to us. We finally unwrap that nugget of mm-hmm. why the pig mask and why why was he like so just fixated on making sure that they conceived a child at the specific point of the chinese zodiac yes i think there's going to be like a detail in a movie where he has like charlotte's web on like a bookshelf (laughs) like maybe zoom in on it (laughs) we've got most of the traps in the movie take place in what's called the murderer's trial so the traps that are happening in the barn we've got the bucket room the chain hangers the leg wires the grain silo the cycle trap and the shotgun keys so what about the bucket room, which is the first one where they wake up with buckets on their heads and they have to give up a, a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice to get out. I love it um, because this is this is really John being so fucking petty. Yeah. Um, of like, I want to see you do extra because you're not listening mm-hmm. and you think that you have to saw off your arm. Or you think that this is going, like, you have to do something major. All I want for you is to basically nick yourself. And no one, like, it takes so much longer for people to grasp that. Which, again, I understand a panic situation that will happen. I also think it's wild that we have this bucket head that is asleep. Yeah. And I think it's also a sign to us, like you said, this is prototype. And this is an early, early, early effort of Jigsaw. And he probably hasn't figured out the exact way to get folks where he needs them and how he needs them within the games. Yeah, that's true. 
And so it's um I I like it just because it's so simple. Mhm. And it's very perfunctory and it's very steel and clean. Um and scary. Yeah. Like scary. I do not even just for a tiny little bit do not want to put my hand near a saw blade like that. Mm-hmm. Like for survival I understand, sure. But the idea of it is horrifying to me. Mm-hmm. Well Yeah. And I think that seeing this after seeing the other saw films, it is weird for us to see or strange for us to see a game or a setup where we have people working together. Where mm-hmm. they're not just competitive and having to, this is like fight each other or you have to kill them to live or whatever. Um, this is very much about teamwork. And that's really interesting to see yep. as well. Everybody could survive, to, you know, probably. And because we find out later this is an early this is ha- this movie's half prequel half sequel this game is taking place before all the others they don't yet know about jigsaw they don't know who jigsaw is like in the fifth movie when they're like this is jigsaw and he's going to kill us and we have to die they're like working from that knowledge but in this movie they have no clue what's going right. on and it sets anna up sort of acting like a final girl where she's like, come on guys, we all got to pull together and do this together. Yeah. I thought that this trap was like visually very cool. Just, it looks neat and disturbing. There's something Mm -hmm. about like having a bucket strapped to your head that just is like visually arresting. And it's a very simple trap. And what struck me on this rewatch was that like, it is very easy to survive this trap. And for the most part, the traps in this movie are much easier to survive than what you typically see John put someone through. Like he's not asking for as much of a sacrifice as he would be in other movies. Now, if you're Ryan, you can argue, well, I lost a leg, but my argument there would be like, but that wasn't your test. Like that's because you cheated. Yeah. He didn't Um, follow the rules. Yeah. And I was wondering, I had this thought, and again, this might be me thinking deeper than the movie, but in terms of the timeline, like this is very early in John's diagnosis. Like he's still like really able-bodied here. Like he's able to, you know, move um, Logan on his own. Like he's able to move him around and help him up. And he's still pretty limber and he seems healthy. Mm -hmm. That because like it's very early in his, in his diagnosis, like the brain cancer hasn't hobbled him yet. And also I used to work with adults that suffered from traumatic brain injury, whether that was due to a stroke or whether that was due to some sort of accident, car accident, or like fell out a window or just in general, their brains were permanently impacted. And one of the things with like stroke in particular is it can really impact your personality. It can make you meaner. It can Mm -hmm. make you shorter with people. It can make you a bit crueler is what I would say in some, not everybody, but like that is Mm -hmm. one of the effects of like traumatic brain injury. It can make you much more prone to anger and rage and much shorter temper. And I wonder like as John's 
brain cancer progressed Mm -hmm. if like that was part of the rationale or the reason behind the traps getting much more laborious and difficult to solve. And even if you did survive, it was going to cause you either A, it was going to cause you a lot of active harm, or B, somebody else was going to suffer. Like you think about Saw 6 and you have like the two people that are like hanging, Mm -hmm. but one of them is going to die no matter what. Mm -hmm. Well, and what's interesting about that point, and that's a really great point about his brain cancer, is that there's literally no time spent to discussing like where the tumor tumors where where the malignancy lies mm-hmm. in the brain and what it's impacting because we do find i think very subtle changes even in watching like saw one through three which do have very linear threads he's very different yeah in those films and I think we see him, and, and I love that you mentioned him, like, going in and picking up Logan. He never fucking does that. Mm-hmm. We never see him actually go in and be like, wait, no. <laughs> this isn't fair. I have to stop this and I have to help you because this isn't, this isn't what this is about. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really telling and very interesting. But I don't, um, it, it's hard to say that, I mean, it's just, it's strange that we're given a film that is giving us a bit of this, like, OG John Kramer jigsaw, but it's been so little time with him. Yeah. Yeah. In that time so it's hard to say like where he was really at because we also have to factor in that he's going through all the stuff with jill Mm -hmm. and everything else so i think of jigsaw in these movies much of how i think of like michael myers in the first couple halloween movies even when he's not on it was like one of my complaints with halloween ends is it felt like we forgot about michael myers for a lot of the movie whereas the first couple even when he's not on screen you always feel his presence and i feel like with the saw movies and again i'm a newbie to these but like i always feel like i feel john kramer or jigsaw's presence Mm -hmm. even when he's not around it feels like he is behind the curtain pulling the strings even when you don't even when he's dead yeah so talking about pulling strings and threads mm-hmm. and bits and pieces that kind of takes us into the next room which is the hanging chains and needles is that yeah right? yeah where carly has to pick the right injection to give herself and she says it right off yep yep but she's like i don't i don't want to do it um, which I think it's interesting the way that people act in the traps in this movie seem very realistic to me. And sometimes in the other movies, like I just go with it. But the way people act in traps, I'm like, 
when you think about it, you're like, well, would you really just buy into that immediately? She freezes with fear. And I'm like, that is a reasonable reaction mm -hmm. when you're being asked to stab yourself with a needle that you don't know what it is. Yeah. And Ryan proves he's an asshole immediately in this one. Like he's just the worst to her. And then he stabs her with all the needles and mm -hmm. um, yeah. What would be the Ryan Jeff tag team? You mean like what would their name be? Yeah, like what like because they seem very much like cut from the same jib. I mean, could they be the well, we don't know if Ryan has any kids. I was gonna say they could be the bad dads. <laughs> they're, they're rife. And no, I think that here's the thing. I think that after surviving the first room, after surviving bucket, rotating saw, bloodletting, I, I'm going to be inclined to just go with it and yeah. buy all in and say, you know what? Maybe, maybe I can survive this. Yeah. Maybe I do have to be kind of on my P's and Q's here. Listen. Pay very much attention to everything that's being said by glowing doll eyes <laughs> and be just like on it. And that's why I don't understand. She clearly says the amount. It's right there on the needle. I would not be inclined to doubt it. And I, again, I, I can't say that I have been obviously never been in, in a saw trap um because i would maybe not you should lie about it and write a book is it obvious like are you sure like i don't know <laughs> i mean i do have some pretty great scars but they aren't they're neither fake nor are they from a trap but i would say that i would i would hope that i would click into a part of my brain where i would be like I have to go with this. Maybe right, maybe like a survival it, mode. Maybe, yeah. maybe that syringe is okay for me mm -hmm. to inject in. Yeah, and I'm gonna inject it in like in my foot. Yeah, and yeah, it's pretty well, frustrating the way she just sort of freezes and then Ryan kills her. And why didn't Ryan just say, "Oh, well, she said this number. I'm going to inject her with this one." Because Ryan's the worst. Ryan's not much of a thinker. <laughs> But see, I think that he's, but when we talk about like realistic reactions, he has the most, which is like, if I like, one reaction is to freeze, the other one is to like go into full asshole mode, mm -hmm. which is like, yeah. if I decimate everyone around me, I've somehow proven myself to... yeah to whatever and and that's not the case but i i just i don't understand that choice it it was really even i try to go into saw movies not really like dissecting the traps and like what this isn't logical i wouldn't do this this doesn't yeah. make sense like you would think through this for at least a second but this one really perplexed me because I was like, this, the, <laughs> there's no like questioning 
any of the the pieces here like why why this yeah the last thing i'll say about the chain hangers is that this is the first time chronologically that billy the puppet does his thing and that's exciting to me because he's big he's on a big tricycle he's a big boy he's got rolling eyes he's rolling out so yeah i thought that was fun when i put that together i was like wait a minute this is billy's debut he looks what so if, good he looks he great looks, he what looks if and good. hear me out what if billy like rolled in on that motorcycle that would be on. honestly i'm offended that he did it george thorogood's like bad to the bone plays <laughs> we couldn't handle it like it How would just be too real it would be good it's the next trap that doesn't make like the next trap is kind of a bit of a letdown like you the get leg the wires si- no the grain silo the grain silo <gasps> no as a farm girl this is mm-mm, mm-mm. this is horror this is horror fuel okay. this is this is nightmare fuel explained like, that people die this way do they oh yes it, yeah uh, it's really dangerous to <laughs> fuck around in a grain silo. Like okay. you will drown, <gasps> and so it's a really like horrible. Swim upwards. No, it uh, the suction is crazy. It's it's a suffocating death where you're aware the whole time. Oh. It's it's very dangerous. It's very okay. much a quiet place where yeah. the kids have to get on the little metal mm-hmm. placard, and even that's not necessarily holding them up. People die this way really? every year. Oh yeah, it's, it's so horrifying because there's nothing that you can do. Yep. <laughs> okay. So for, this one freaks me out. It is a little bit weird. Like my husband, who does not watch any of the Saw movies, does not like mm-hmm. these movies. He walked into the room while the grain silo trap was happening, and he was like, "So what's on the TV? And what's falling on them?" And why is that happening? I was like, listen, I don't have time to explain eight movies to you. Just accept that what's going on makes sense. But also in my head, I was like, this is a little bit weird. (laughs) (laughs) Compared to what you typically see, I think, which Mm -hmm. is very like steampunk. Yeah. Gears turn in. Yeah. The other thought I had is like they're in this barn and there's windows like, why are they never thinking, like, what if we climb up and break a window and just run out of here? Like, no one ever mm-hmm. has that. Because usually you're in, like, a warehouse with no windows and the doors are all, like, sealed. And, like, if you shut a door, you know, you can't open it or, like, a nail gun thing will go off. And here it's kind of like, uh, there's, like, windows are a little bit high up, but there are boxes. What if we were to climb them? Like, what would happen? That's a good question, because it's not like they're jigsaw aficionados who know they have to follow the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. Oh, that's my how I would have escaped. I would have like lumbered out of a giant window. Nice. No, that's a good that is a good point. Yeah. There are I don't windows, know why. But I think it you know, maybe that speaks to just like the fear of the moment and not no. thinking like you can not thinking that that's necessarily the option 
and especially in the silo, even if there are like hatches or whatever, depending on high how high it is, you're still you're still gonna be in struggle mode because someone has to then find you. <laughs> oh god, it's so in, in the silo because you're not gonna be able to get yourself out and I did not realize this. I didn't realize it was that bananas of a of a um death okay yeah it's a public My service bad. announcement out don't fuck around near a grain silo oh didn't plan on it well don't do it mike okay i don't know what you get up to I, on the weekends i did plan on it so now, <laughs> now i won't um there's the cycle trap which yes. looks really cool it but i don't gnarly understand it i don't quite like he's slowly getting dropped down this cone of shame and he has to press a break and i don't understand what the danger is well this the the cone of shame is is slicey okay it's knife knifey what do i, I mean i think i didn't quite see the blades then yeah so he ends up all like the body that they show later that they're like this is the one from the cycle trap they don't call it that he's mm -hmm. all flayed and cut don't they call it the blender do they call it the blender I, I found the word cycle trap online, so yeah. I think could be. I think in the film there's a reference to like a blender or okay. something like that because it's I mean, I but no, I think that that's what's there's and maybe that's something that we're we're not really honing in on was that there's a deceptive nature to the traps as well that we think, oh, well if we we just squeeze in we're not going to be touched by these mm -hmm. blades but they're at such a, a distance and a pace that mm -hmm. there's really no getting around it that we're going to yeah. get sliced and diced and that's also I, I mean like there's like the horror movie trope of like sticking your hand in... Like in a garbage disposal. Yep. Yeah, this was Best. like, how about sticking your body in one? Yeah. This is probably the hardest trap of them all, right? Yes. And who is put in this trap? The guy Mitch. that, who did, he, and who did Mitch mess with? Jigsaw's nephew. Jigsaw You're... has a nephew? What? Like, the way my brain exploded, where I was like, he has a whole family we don't know about. I want He made it personal. Stories. He made it. Oh my god! He made it super personal, which I don't think that yeah. we we've recognized and understood since uh, Cecil. Yeah, and like the other two, you know. Well, we learned that Buckethead was very personal, but um, like Ryan and Carly were not personal to him, as far as we know. And then Anna is kind of sort of personal, but he's punishing her for being a bad parent. So this whole oh, trial has this. Parent. Yes, um, it's a mix of like, you know, weirdly personal and to all the way to not. It's like he just mm -hmm. had to fill in some gaps or something to get the people he really wanted to get. Jigsaw has a nephew, man. Where are those stories? I want to hear about Uncle Jigsaw getting drunk at Thanksgiving and talking. Where's his politics. siblings? Where's his siblings at? Like the the will? Yeah, thing? yeah. Like, does he bring Billy the puppet to like children's birthday parties? Like, what does oh, he do? No. I'm I'm noping out of that. That's 
Like, I love a creepy moment, but that's like... That's very <laughs> creepy, though. How yeah. about you put that for your child? It, he plays the long game with Ryan. Like, Ryan... Yeah. Did this? They made a mistake as a teenager 20-something years ago, and he's like, well, you're getting punished now. Like, there's no statute of limitations. <laughs> but Ryan's right. still an asshole today. He is. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like, you, you made a mistake. But you I doubled feel like, down emotionally and mentally on it, so. I feel like uh, with Ryan, like Ryan, he used to cut him in line or something, like getting coffee or was just yes. like sick. You know, would perp like purposely mispronounce the barista's name or something. And he's like, eh, I'm going to make something up. I'm going to just like make this up right now. Um, we get the laser trap. We get the shotgun trap which the key to your freedom is right here oh my god the greatest line of all time and we don't know they don't know how to listen to jigsaw mm-hmm. i'm sorry i love this movie yeah you and need to turn it all around i've been calling jigsaw batman and <laughs> i you know like i think of like the uh battle for the cowl like when you have Amanda and Hoffman and Jill and now Logan, all of them want to carry the mantle of Jigsaw. You know, once like when Bruce Wayne quote unquote died in the comics when he was really sent back like 2 million years BC. Oh. Right. In the Grant Morrison, uh, when they wrote to those uh, really out there um, comics after Batman, like during that whole run with Batman, RAP, and whatnot. Like, really, like, I've been calling Jigsaw Batman, but Jigsaw's the Riddler. Like, Jigsaw's all under wordplay and puns and figuring mm. out riddles. Like, yes. It's all over the place. But what do you think about Ryan having essentially survived a pretty intense trap of his own with having to cut off his leg? And now being here. Well, I think John says it. He's like, well, that wasn't your trap. You just didn't play by the rules. Like, that wasn't your game. But it kind of was. Because it was more like, you need to make a choice. Because I think it is going back to his original transgression. And being like, you were so thoughtless of others. And now you have to prioritize others in a way mm-hmm. and he did that at kind of the very 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 last second um and i do find that interesting because i don't think that we have seen i mean you can always i guess count jeff but i hate jeff <laughs> But you don't see someone that has gone through stuff and getting like and and gotten to this point to then have to kind of bargain in a way. It's very interesting to me. Um, I don't know. Continue that thought. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt. No, I mean, I just I find that interesting that we just have a character that is an asshole but has somehow made the right decision at exactly the right time to get to where he is and 
kind of, I mean, he doesn't survive, but I, I, I don't know. Like, there's just something very fascinating with the fact that it's him. Mm-hmm. Like, why not Mitch? I, I think about Xavier in Saw 2, who also was like, you know, whether or not you want to say he made the right decisions, he made it to the end and then got got. So I think it's like the show's not over until Jigsaw says it is like you might get maimed in the process. You might not make it out at all, but like that might have been a side quest for Ryan, but it wasn't the final test, I think. Okay, I I I like the the phrase of side quest that maybe it is a good point you made though that like well he had to make a sacrifice which he never would do like he was inherently selfish and then he had to do something unselfish at great personal cost but that doesn't get him a reprieve Mm -hmm. but I think of like Saw Six and William and he runs the gauntlet. And then at the end, it's like, oh, this actually isn't your game. Mm-hmm. And then he gets like uh, acid dumped into every part of his body and just melts. And it's amazing. Yeah. Um, so you do see that happen. In, and even in Saw, the final chapter where you have like the grifter who mm-hmm. has to run that whole gauntlet. And at the end of it everybody that's been associated with him is dead. Like he wasn't able to save anybody despite him making it to the end. But I think that that's also like part of it is to be like, this is how fucked up you are is that you're watching everyone die because of choices that you're making. And outside of Carly, Ryan doesn't necessarily make that choice within the game. Like, he struggles, and to me, that seems like, yeah, it's selfish. And you would hope that you would make a different choice, but it's kind of understandable. Like, no one wants to have wires slice off your leg it's uncomfortable it's not going to feel great and so you you're dealing with i think a very natural instinct of self-preservation and he rallies against that at the last minute so it's just it's very interesting that it's him but i like the idea of it being a side quest like this was really their moment, but you had to play a part in it. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's it. I Again, I think that just the structure of this game is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's, it's almost like Jigsaw was trying different things to see what he liked, yeah. you know? Cool. Yeah. I think that ties a little bit into, like, let's talk about the speed rig brothers a little bit like we mentioned in the making of or the background how they wanted to make a movie that was more accessible Mm -hmm. and that kind of meant two things number one making it accessible by like dialing back a lot of the lore like there's no mention of amanda there's no mention of hoffman there's no mention of gordon in this one you're tossing 
you're from a storytelling point, you're tossing all of the other movies out and you're just telling this story so that like we joked last time, like you're not going to saw seven and thinking like you can jump right in after missing the others, but you could kind of just go see jigsaw on its own. Yeah, you could, you could. So that's one way. The other thing is like, they, they talk about this uh, in the behind the scenes featurettes or like, look, we're not torture poor fans. We think that's really played out. Like we want to get back to making more of a thriller, uh, more like the first movie. We don't want to turn off potential audience members by going super blood and gut. So they're mm-hmm. kind of like making it a point saying we're not going to cater to the hardcores so much as like we want to open this up so new people can come in that maybe would have been turned off by the end of Saw 6 when a guy literally breaks in half like a thing of melted <laughs> string cheese and is in right. pop out. Do you think they're successful in doing that? Like, Are they making this movie more accessible for new people? Or is it like, mm, maybe you don't quite know like what the assignment is here? I absolutely think they did. Um, I... So for one, I think you could watch this movie not having watched any other Saw movies and do just fine. I think it would be better if you watched the first one and then Jigsaw. But Jigsaw is an entry point to the franchise, for sure. Um, Because they explain enough, but they don't get into all the stuff that you don't need to know to understand this movie. And, I mean, it is less gory. The traps are still horrible, like... Drowning in a grain silo is horrible, but it doesn't have these splattery bluts and gud that people, you know, if if you're turned off by torture porn, that's probably one of the things you don't like. So this feels more like a movie that a horror fan who wouldn't like the rest of the Saw series might like this movie. And I, you know, I don't know if a non-horror fan would like it, but at least it's more of an entry point. I would say yes from a storytelling perspective, but I think that there's so much merit in having watched and knowing the rest and understanding how Jigsaw brings on apprentices mm-hmm. and gets people on his side. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I think that that's a key part to the very end reveal um because in the timeline we haven't seen anything like that yet and it's it's fascinating but i think you know to understand especially with amanda it's a very similar thing she was with cecil um She has, even though she wasn't personally connected to anything, like, personally traumatic to John, um, there's still some roundabout personal connection. Mm -hmm. Um, So John never loses necessarily that thread, but I think he does keep a lot of his... uh, I'm choosy about who I pick to bring on and this starts from the very beginning and I think having that knowledge is helpful in selling that reveal 
a mm. little bit more. So how do you feel about the reveal? What are our thoughts on Logan being kind of like the new Jigsaw? Like they've cleared the deck of Amanda and Hoffman. There's no mention of Dr. Gordon. So it feels like if there's going to be like a Jigsaw 2, Saw 9, that this is the direction they're going to go in, that Logan is going to be the guy going forward. And I guess we can kind of answer our own question in saying that like, Matt Passmore is nowhere to be found in. You don't even get like a super like Easter ale post credit scene where like Logan and Hoffman are like thumb wrestling to see who gets to put the reverse bear trap on the next person. Right. <laughs> um, what do we think of this character in this reveal? I love it. Um, I know a lot of people don't. I think it's fun because of the infinite possibilities it opens up and all the questions it leaves me with. Like, did he ever work with the other followers or not? Was he kind of like the first follower and then he got back on his feet and left and then Jigsaw got Hoffman and Amanda? Um, like, did Logan help with other traps? Was he like a secret follower the way I think Gordon was? Or did he just kind of do his thing and then disappear? You know, he clearly uses Jigsaw's, like, he frames Jigsaw similarly to how Hoffman did um, to avenge his wife's murder. And he frames Halloran, the, the dirty cop in this movie. So it's actually really similar to Hoffman in sort of motive and, like, setup, but they go about it really differently. And Jigsaw's yeah. been dead for 10 years, so he can't come to Logan and say, don't you dare frame me. So... I think it's awesome and super layered and I'd love to get more Logan stories. Mm -hmm. What do you think of this idea of him being like a tortured vet that's yeah. come back from like, you know, that's coming back from the war in Iraq. He's suffering from, you know, combat laden PTSD. And he describes himself as like a broken man when John rescues him and this is like john's one success story like we've mm -hmm. been you know john would keep pointing to amanda as his like truest disciple but you know like logan is kind of like no like 10 years later he's holding down a job he's got a daughter mm -hmm. you know he seems like a pretty good dad playing catch in the park and like tucking his kid into bed over zoom when he can't be home um this is like john's like one success story it would seem like yeah, and I mean, he pulled Logan out of the trap, right? Like, Logan didn't have to escape himself, so it's a little bit different than Amanda. But again, similar to Hoffman, um, the way he pulls, like, he kind of lets Hoffman go, but they're in there for very different reasons. Mm -hmm. I think that is super interesting from a meta level, because as we talked about, like, where horror was at in the 2000s and where we were at culturally and what torture porn comes out of had a lot to do with the war in Iraq. And so taking the movie, you know, a decades later and focusing on a war veteran, it's almost like a meta. I, I can't quite wrap my head around it, but I think there's something there having a veteran of the specific war that influenced some of the first movies appear in this one. And I think we need to be careful in media, how we depict veterans of war mm -hmm. um we don't want them all to be ptsd stereotypes but it's also like a very real possible thing and it isn't the only thing that defines him 
like you said, he has a family and a job and like a full life. So um, being a combat veteran who also has PTSD is not the only thing about him. Yeah. So I think it it's he's an interesting layered character for like the short time that we actually get to know him. So I think it was an interesting choice. You know, we consider John Kramer as kind of experiencing PTSD in a number of different ways, like medical PTSD, mm-hmm. and that he's he has this diagnosis. He and then what we find out in subsequent films um, goes through some pretty horrific things, um, and is kind of you know put through the ringer in terms of the system, the the medical system. I I think it is a very interesting choice to have someone that I think could kind of relate on a very specific emotional level of these are things that happened to you that you didn't have control over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And even though he's responsible for mixing up the x-rays or the scans that you know delayed john's diagnosis and made treatment options minuscule um i think that there's probably a level of understanding of like (laughs) you had you have issues and yeah it's okay like that's why I wanted to help you and not just let you get hacked up in the buckethead challenge because that wasn't what the goal was. So yeah. it is interesting. It's it's very interesting and I think I, I agree. I would like to see more Logan. I also find him boring. Thank you. And that if I have an issue with this movie is it feels, we mentioned like Leatherface going direct to video and Cult of Chucky going direct to video. This movie feels very sci-fi movie of the week. Like I could easily see this playing on the sci-fi, like not even shutter, like it's a shutter original, but like made for basic cable type of movie, just the look of it. And also the performances like Matt Passmore, I think like all of his roles prior to this were in like USA network type roles. Like he would show up like for one or two episodes in something like suits or like CSI. And I'm like, if you look at his filmography, that's what it is. There was like one show that ran for like 20 episodes in USA where he played like a jilted husband. Um, his adversary here, detective Halloran, who is like Callum Keith Rennie, probably best known for playing like one of the Cylons in the Battlestar Galactica reboot, which is a great show, but it's like a sci-fi network show. Uh, Hannah, um, who uh, Hannah, Emily Anderson, we talked about her when we talked about the purge television show, like she's the wife in the, she is the wife in the first purge TV show that is like in a polyamorous kind of triangle that's going on. All of these performers are basically made for cable TV performers. Like there's no one 
that is feels like a movie star, no one that feels like a, a film actor. And I think that that really comes across in the performances, but also like this movie doesn't look like a saw movie. Like that blue green filter is gone. Yeah. It, they made a conscious choice to kind of remove it from warehouses and give it like a lot more natural lighting, expand the world a bit, move like, there are parks in Saw City. There's places <laughs> where people can go running. Yeah. There are, you know, there's a a action set piece that takes place at the start of this movie. It doesn't necessarily feel like a Saw movie mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways. And I think that like Logan is kind of kind of a dullard. <laughs> I will say that um in addition to Jigsaw, Hanley, Hannah Emily Anderson is also in a movie, um, What Keeps You Alive. Yes. Which is very good. And so is Carly. The actress yes. who plays Carly in this movie is mm. also in What Keeps You Alive. Yeah. Very, very good movie. Yes. Um, so I, I, th- I think she's good and... Um, I think that's also, I think, why a lot of people may be disappointed with kind of how the end plays out because you do have a lot of buildup with her, Mm -hmm. um, either being a villain or a completely kind of off kilter red herring, Mm -hmm. um, and, and neither really pan out the way that you think they will. So, um... I I like her, um, but yeah, I that is interesting, and I think I want. I mean, do you think that also you're feeling that this seems like a very uh, sci-fi movie of the week, made for cable TV type production? Also has to do with the traps being a little bit more reined. Maybe. Um, and I think they're like, I think it's more the performances and like this, the look of the, the very, this is the first one that actually has like real digital effects as opposed to practical effects. Like we didn't talk about like the, the laser trap. And I guess we'll talk about that when we maybe talk about Halloran in a minute. Um, but like it's the first, t- it's a cool visual but like I come to these movies and I think most people do because they want like that practical gore. They want mm-hmm. to see how that think of like in the final chapter, as much as I don't love that movie, the practical visual of that dude's skin sticking yeah. in our seat and then peeling off. Like yeah. it again, looks like pizza cheese. It's really neat. And Ariel, I know you really liked Eleanor. And yeah, this, you found I her. What, what did you find compelling about her? Um, so truly, I think it's really cool to see a woman confident at her job, like at her normal job in a movie. I think we don't always get to see that. I don't know, Nicole, you're laughing. I don't know if that's a silly thing to say. Um, she's a she's a confident woman who's good at her job, and like she's just like. This is Ojiski's disease. This is where it comes from. I can track it. I can track a virus. I'm a good medical examiner. And 
like she has to put up with so much sexism in in this like we in what we see from her i don't know if it's a regular part of her day because she and logan seem to get along just fine but like she makes a good point and the police are like ah woman made a good point something must be wrong we should investigate her and so i just think like she's she's a badass who holds her own in this industry that that doesn't treat her kindly and she's got a full life outside of work She's got hobbies on the weekends. Like, I think it's a, you know, she's she reveres a serial killer in a way that I don't love. I think there's an interesting dissection of true crime obsession mm -hmm. in Eleanor, kind of like how there is in Tragedy Girls in, a, in the same year. Um, but like, Eleanor has a full life. She's good at her job. She knows what she wants. She's confident. And it's just really nice to see. And again, I think like this, the women in the Saw franchise are interesting and complex and like Eleanor doesn't die. I think that's really cool. Like a lot of the times the women we love in the Saw franchise get killed off. So I want an Eleanor spinoff. Nicole, you look skeptical. I'm sorry. I'm skeptical about Eleanor having a full life. <laughs> outside of work because as a horror fan seems, i'm she, like all i do outside of work is horror stuff so i'm like she's very like christian gray my tastes are very singular <laughs> and they are very much about murder traps mm -hmm. like no this is what they teach you like do not go that like go away from this like do not do not engage with someone that is like recreating murder instruments for fun. Oh, she's like, into real estate. It's like she's got her own like little right. warehouse property. So you she's invested you, in real estate. Don't dexter it. Like that's not don't no. But and she I understand that. She built that. Okay. She's an well, engineer. So is Jigsaw. Cool. I know, and I'm not saying it makes... If people are complicated. <laughs> she just doesn't have, like, I guess, like, the, the money to buy, like, the moving gears. I don't know. I don't know. But, no, I I do like her. She, she is interesting, and I agree. Like, she is very much judged as a woman that has a chosen field and mm -hmm. is good at it. But I just am, if there's an issue with the writing, I think that it comes down to, like, there's something different that you could have added to Eleanor to at least take some of that red dye off of her because it was just so strong. Mm -hmm. And that's not her vibe. Like, you're exactly right. She is someone that just you know she has an interest in this she's like I, I i don't know but they don't explore like they don't it's very surface it. level it is we we talked a bit, a bit about this so we did like the final chapter like saw 3d how mm -hmm. it explores kind of grifter culture a little bit but it doesn't ever go past the surface. And it's kind of the same thing here where it's yeah. like, hey, maybe we're a little bit too obsessed with true crime and serial killers. But moving on, I do like, you know, talking about her being good at her job, like one little dig 
that's made in this movie is when they're like, she could have, you know, moved, you know, run her own department out in Cleveland. Why didn't she take it? And Logan is like, well, would you want to live in Cleveland? And I just love that, like, given the murder rate in Saw City and given that it, like, seems to never have any sunlight, that you're still like, at least I don't yeah, live in Cleveland. Cleveland. You know, I think that's really brilliant. And anytime you can make a swipe at Cleveland, like, that's not a bad thing. That's pretty funny. Did we feel like, I remember watching this thinking, like, is this when we get Ghost Jigsaw? <laughs> so it kind yeah. of makes sense given that like the insidious movies were popular. We're kind of like right in the middle of like the conjuring exploding. And it's like, holy shit, like we're going to get ghost jigsaw and it's going to go a supernatural route. Would we have been pumped for that? Or would we have been like jigsaw from being, you know, his risen from the grave? Like I really thought that was the route they were going to go. And I think maybe that's why I was let down was like, Oh, it's just another disciple that we haven't heard of. Like, cool. Like, that we can always play that card. I was glad they didn't. Um, when they open his casket and it's got Edgar Munson in it instead, I was like, what is happening? Like, I had no idea. I was like, if they do j- Zombie Jigsaw, like, I, I, I maybe still would have thought it was a fun movie, but. It when you go supernatural, like the series has so far hung its hat on saying all this could really happen. Maybe it's not likely, maybe you suspend your disbelief, but all of it could actually happen. So then if you come in with the eighth movie and go supernatural, all the work you did to keep it all realistic for so long kind of goes out the window. So that could feel cheap. Um, I also think like the movies would start to go downhill after that. Like the vibe would just change so Mm -hmm. much. Um, So I was glad they didn't, but I, I was like, does he have a twin? Like, what are we going to find out? So I was really on the edge of my seat the whole time, but no, it's just some guy who saved Kramer's blood for 10 years in case he needed it, which is super normal and fine. You know, as, as one does not and Um. way creepier than anything Eleanor did. Right. As one does. And it's convenient. Again, it's just like, I just think that like pulling out the like, oh, it was a disciple of Jigsaw. We didn't know. Like it was my complaint about part seven with like bringing Dr. Gordon back. Like, oh, we haven't seen you for like five movies and you're the one that's been doing all this stuff like behind the scenes and no one knew about it. Same thing here where it's like, oh, here's this guy that we never even hear about. It's never even hinted at. Mm-hmm. Like if they get dropped a line, like like in Empire Strike Back, when Yoder is like, no, there is another. At the time that George Lucas wrote that line, he had no idea that like Princess Leia was going to be Luke Skywalker's sister because he had them sucking face earlier in the movie. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. I might need another Jedi in the next movie in case things go sour. Let me at least hint at it. Like that's never even... And that's not like the writers here. Like it's not Stolberg and Goldfingers. Fault, right. You know, but it's still kind of like, are we going to just fucking do this every single time? I think we might. Yeah. I mean, we just might. If we need to explain something in the saga franchise, we're just going to say another person was there the whole yeah. time that we didn't know. Hear me out. <laughs> Billy the puppet rides out on his tricycle. 
gets off it, does a little soft, soft shoes shuffle, <laughs> and then like is like, it's me, the soul of John Kramer, and I now live in this body. And he holds up like Chucky's severed head and drop kicks it. And it's like, I'm the master puppet now, bitch. You're telling me you're not on for like 10 more of those movies? Yeah. I, and that was the sweet show. All right. <laughs> Listen, I was genuinely torn by that question. That ge- last episode, you broke my brain. And this time, I think you tore my heart. Mm-hmm. So yeah, would I watch it? Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Am I going to be happy about it? I don't think so. I think I, you'd be thrilled. Okay. I mean, maybe make the movie and let's see what happens. Challenge out there. Maybe I can interview Stolberg and plant that idea. No, not. my, my, I think that that's obviously kind of like the tease, the tickle going in to Jigsaw is, is this going to be supernatural? Mm -hmm. Because we're playing with timelines and we know that this is well beyond a time when John Kramer is dead. So we can't have a resurrection john without it being supernatural mm-hmm. or paranormal and you cannot have that with saw it does not fit everything is very mechanical methodical and for lack of a better word logical like there's obviously huge leaps in long logic mm-hmm. and how things actually work but you cannot have ghost jigsaw it does not even if like would it be wild for him to possess oh my god yeah wild hilarious put that as like promotional material (laughs) do not make that the film because that just does not he he and annabelle could ride off into the sunset (laughs) you could have like think of like the love scene between Chucky and Tiffany in Bride of Chucky. And think of how far puppetry has come in the intervening <laughs> decades. Like, you could have the tenderest puppet love scene. I'm thinking of Team America. <laughs> Do you remember Team America? So my last question, you can only... What would anger you more before we wrap it up? And then we'll wrap it up. Jigsaw is a ghost in Saw 13 or bringing back Stu Mocker in Scream 7 is the person pulling all the strings Jigsaw's i want ghost. both i want both i want stew mocker and- i don't want either like i actively do How not do want, want either. more stew are we really gonna get into this <laughs> i just don't think it would make a damn bit of sense that nobody's mentioned him for the rest of the movies but they have, though. They've been planting those seeds in five and six. But don't you think he'd be on the news one day like, hey, guys, I didn't die. Doesn't I don't make know. any sense. Prison. He's in jail. I mean, like, you don't usually get to go on TV just announcing you're not dead. So you think he's alive but in jail? I think Have they so. ever said he's dead in the series? Probably. Oh, my God. I am not. I can't. I can't. I think they did in the first film because I think there's a very specific line about this is a live one or yeah. something. So, no, well, I, I think Dewey is the live one. They yeah. bring about Dewey. So, I don't know. 
that's a topic for another day. Yeah. I think we can wrap up Saw 7 because it's I... late. We're very tired. We're recording this <laughs> on an off day. Our his dog needs to go out. My cat is stuck on the porch. Like, when are you going to let me in? I escaped and now I want to come in. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this is a fun talk. I think Jigsaw yes. is like a fun little movie. I'm really looking forward to next week. So I think there will be arguments. I think there's going to be a throwdown. <laughs> but before we do that, before we go, where can we find everyone? Nicole, what's coming up in Bodies of Horror? Yeah. Uh, so Bodies of Horror, uh, trucking right along, just did an episode on The Babadook, um, which was very emotional, surprisingly for me um many people have heard my very passionate and ted talky takes on um sweet boy franklin from texas chainsaw massacre and i feel like uh this is a continuation of that that vibe and feel so um yeah that uh we're 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 hitting some hard some hard stuff um but yeah have episodes coming up uh with some guests that has been super fun uh because mm-hmm. i don't think that people really like just to hear me ramble for an hour plus so guests are always good guests are always good uh yeah solo so shows have... are hard <sighs> yeah. um so yeah have some exciting guests talking uh a little bit more about foreign horror which is very exciting and how that relates to kind of like cultural uh ideas and treatment of disability and where can everyone find these shows so we are well we i plus guests that come on the show and are nice enough to come on the show are uh on anatomy of a scream it's a bi-weekly podcast so every other tuesday and yeah, you can find us as part of the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad. Excellent. Ari, what's going on with the ghouls? Oh, yes, we are. We are deep into October, into spooky season. Lots of live events going on in London. Um, but for everybody who's not in London, we've got Mental Health and Horror Month this month and we've got a panel discussion coming up on that so if you go to ghoulsmagazine.com you can find all those events and this uh well probably by the time this episode is out my article an extremely personal article about the saw franchise and how it helped me get through covid is going to be live on the on ghouls magazine and that'll be free so check that out and you can find me on all the socials at Ari underscore Hellraiser. And this weekend, I'm going to be tweeting a bunch about Telluride Horror Show. Yeah, by the time this posts, mm-hmm. you can go back in time and look at Ari and mm-hmm. I's posts all about Telluride Horror. And speaking of which, I believe Ari and I are going to try to record. I'm going to try to entice you to join me for breakfast <laughs> Sunday morning I can do before that. the first block. And we'll do like a little mini show about like what we've seen and what we've really enjoyed out at Telluride Horror. Um, as far as we go, like you can go to the pod and the pendulum.com to get all of our back episodes. Matter of fact, if we record that bonus show, like that will be episode 200. I've gone through the archives. Nice. That'll be the official like episode 200. I think it's kind of be a nice little way to, you know, a little, I think that'll be kind of a nice way. Look with the mountains as our backdrop recording. 
the chill yeah. telluride air like that'll be pretty neat you can anyway you can find us at pod on the pendulum.com apparently you can write us notes and messages there i just found out a bunch of listeners have left us like super nice messages there and i've been trying to respond to some of them so we appreciate that like no one has written like you guys are the worst which is great <laughs> they've been super kind if you want to tell us we're the worst you can leave us a review but don't do that. That hurts our show. Leave us a five-star review and a few kind words, like write a few sentences wherever you get your podcast. It helps new listeners find us. It's a free way to support the show. You can also consider becoming a patron of the show, and I'll probably have dropped the commercial in somewhere, some point on here. So I'll just say very briefly, go to patreon.com, pardon the pendulum. It's where we have a lot of bonus material up. I think we're going to do Treehouse of Horror this October. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a way to support us and make sure that we can pay for the hosting and the research materials and the website and all that. Can, can we find... mention the the challenge? Yes. So, so a bunch of listeners have asked, like, Mike, what will it take you to do Hellraiser? It's kind of like, you know, how do you get the Beatles to reunite three more bullets? It was that kind of deal. Oh, my God. Me. That's a horrible joke. It's horribly funny. Um, I've never heard that before. You've never heard that? No. It's a horrible joke, yet I love it because it is a horrible joke. I decided, like, what would take it? What would it take us for us to do the Hellraiser? It would take 50 patrons. And it doesn't matter what tier, like, tiers start at two bucks. We're not even close. Like, we're in the teens right now. We don't, I don't do a lot to promote the patreon asides from this pledge and i think a lot of people are like all right they're done talking about the show i'll hit end episode or they never hear me say this so if we got to 50 patrons i would do the paint the hellraiser and we would do it like we do these movies like we oh, would of course give it the proper respect of course it's okay um so yeah, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash bottom the pendulum. You can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian on Twitter. You can find me at Bluesky at Mike Snoonian, Letterbox at Mike Chump Change, Instagram at Mike underscore Snoonian. I'll be posting about Telluride Horror all weekend. Um, we have a bunch of cool stuff coming up between now and the end of the year. Like once we wrap up Saw, in a few episodes with our franchise rankings, which are always really fun shows to do. We're going to be doing uh, Brian Kuyper had on our wheel of what to do. He had the Karloff Frankenstein movies. So we'll be doing the three Boris Karloff Frankensteins, which I'm really psyched to do. Uh, I think we're going to have to do Hell House 4 because oh, that should be to. out on Shutter. Absolutely. And Hell House is like, tipping right on the edge of our top 10 ever episodes it's like right on the cusp like right behind halloween six saw is gonna pass halloween as our number one episode this month like it's right there it's within 30 30 listens nice. um so we'll have hell house four Karloff's frankenstein We'll have our uh, year-end top 10 rankings which was really fun last year and then we got to go to the wheel after that. So I could not go longer than 90 days in Slack. So I need to message everybody and be like, give me your wheel picks again. 
And listeners, let me tell you, everybody gets so excited. Like I live recorded the wheel and everybody got so pumped to see like what was going to get chosen. It was cult-like. I know we're doing Psycho next year. And aside from that, who knows? But, you know, we're just hit 200 episodes or coming up in 200. And it feels like we got a long way to go. We got a lot more in the tank. So we thank you for that. Um, These have been like really popular episodes. Usually like little, we'll do like the popular entries. And then there's a huge gap in all of the others in terms of listens and downloads. Aside from Saw 1, which is a huge jump on all of the others, these are all like within 100 downloads and 100 listens of one another. And they're all way up from, you know, our numbers have doubled in the past few months. So that's kind of awesome. And I really thank you, the listeners, for that. We're like a little indie that's not on a network that continues to grow. And we so appreciate that, listeners, like... It definitely, uh, at 10, 15 at night when I'm keeping my co-hosts awake, it makes <laughs> it it makes it makes worth it to well, hear me respond. And I think that really speaks to just the diligence of both you and Ari, but you have had such an amazing crew with Devon and Rachel and you, Stephen, Nicole. Um, and Lucy coming in as a listener and doing such a fantastic job of really giving, I think, some interesting and fresh takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, this is a franchise that takes a lot of work, I think. And you guys have really, really put that forth. So I'm, I'm excited. And, I love the Patreon because I think you do a wide array of different films. Yeah, as well. you want to do more than just horror there. Mm-hmm. Last note, if you haven't already, go and download The Lady Killers. Uh, Jen Ferratu, Jen mm, yes. uh, Adams of Psychoanalysis, my former co-host over there when we ran that, like the hardest woman working in horror right now, like really anywhere. Uh, she has a new bi-weekly show called The Lady Killers, um with a bunch of really cool folks uh rocco thompson um may who's the editor of the halloweenies and does some great music and sammy who does like social media for halloweenies and losers club they have a new show the lady killers all about feminine rage and i am super looking forward to like diving into that because like everything Jen touches turns to gold so please make sure you're listening to that that's my podcast plug of the week check out Devon's Saw 10 episode with Matt Donato that was a super fun listen check out Steven's take on Spiral before we do our take next time and we can compare notes and see how we did alright we are out of here everybody have a great week I speak for the dead game game